out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Today I speak to my new friend Monica. Monica is an astronomer and the owner of Somaland, a group which offers mushroom retreats. I heard about her many years ago and tried to get her and meet me in the field for a long time, but we kept on missing each other. I am very happy to welcome her as our guest today. This recording actually happened accidentally as Monica has cancelled the meeting in a diary because of a birthday lunch she had to attend. And she was quite surprised when I showed up. We decided to do the recording anyway. At around 8 minutes and 54 seconds in the chat, Monica refers to something on her desk, pointing to it. What she is pointing to is a statue of the Last Supper, which she keeps on her desk. You can find Monica on the Soma Land Facebook page, which is basically facebook.com forward slash Monica This podcast is supported by the first layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There is also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on the first layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. Please also look out for information on my new book, Life and Non, A 12-Step Guide to Life for Non-Addicts. You can find it by following the link from the right of my homepage. It costs 300 rand without postage. Order from my online shop, which is www.freddyshop.co.za That is freddy with an i-e shop.co.za or on any of my social media platforms. This is Monica's story. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Good afternoon, Monica. Welcome to Meet Me in the Field. How are you doing? Well, thank you. I'm very glad to hear that. I'm so glad that we get to speak. Yes, taking a long time. <laughs> this seems to be my week of people that I've been trying for a long time to have eventually pinned down. Oh. So I had one on, what's today? Today's Wednesday. No, today's Tuesday. Tuesday. So it was yesterday. No, it can't. Anyway, I, 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 I seem to be getting people that I've been struggling to get hold of. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to talk to you. and I. Mm-hmm. Thanking you immensely for the time you're taking. I understand that you left a birthday lunch accidentally. <laughs> but accidentally early. <laughs> accidentally early. But here we are, and I'm very happy about that. So I became aware of you many, many, many years ago through a friend of mine who did one of your retreats. And he spoke very highly of you, he spoke very highly of your retreats, mm-hmm. and tried to convince me to, to come and do one of them. Mm. And I never did, because soon after he did one of your retreats, I ended up in rehab for drug addiction. <laughs> so, <laughs> so after that, it was kind of, I don't think it's a good idea for me to do one of your retreats. What, what, is, what is your take on it? So I'm Freddie, I'm a drug addict. I've been clean now for 10 years. My drug of choice was marijuana and cocaine and vast amounts of alcohol. And you do, what do you call your retreats? Soma retreats. Soma retreats. And those are mushroom. Only mushrooms. Only mushrooms. Mm. And that is for the active ingredient of psilocybin. Am I I correct? Yes. Okay, cool. Where would somebody like me with with a drug addiction fit in? Is it something that I can do? We have lots of people who are actively addicted 
lots of people who have been sober for years. Doesn't matter. Okay, because it is a non-addictive substance. Yes. Am I am I correct? Completely non-addictive. Okay, and why would somebody do one of your retreats? Well, people come for many different reasons. We have a particular reason or purpose in mind, just one single purpose, which has multi-leveled results. Yeah. A lot of people with depression contact yes. us, or people addicted to, especially to a prescribed drugs. Okay. That's even a bigger problem than things like cocaine and yeah. <coughs> heroin and so okay. on. Um, cigarettes too. Okay. But what we offer, and we always say this very clearly, we are not offering a, a therapeutic healing medicinal experience. Okay. We are offering an opportunity to connect with a higher source, with the force of nature. Okay. Or whatever word you may use. I just like the word God. Okay. So it, 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 it's, it's for the spiritual... And in the, that connection, that actual connection that happens, the healing happens. Yeah. And it happens in the best way possible. So we ask people to come with no expectations at all absolutely open mind and go into it because somehow and I don't know how this happens the spirit of mushrooms which is called Sama is the name of it Okay. the spirit of the mushroom seems to know when someone has decided to join us Okay. and we hear that over and before we've ever even met and they start having dreams and funny feelings and messages and things that they haven't even started yet and they it's as like the Soma knows you when you get here, knows you and what you need, and it's very mysterious. And I know it sounds weird, but I'm not a weird person. I'm absolutely <laughs> down to earth. I must say, you, 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 I expected something different when I arrived here. One thing I do love, the two things I do love about being here, loads of books mm. and two cats so far? Oh, one. One. You may, there's a, a cat's got a girlfriend. Ah, a so, because I definitely know there were two cats. When, okay, okay, so, so, so this one and... and, and while I was out. <laughs> Sweet, okay. So I definitely Don't identify with you with my love of books yeah. and my love of cats. Oh, okay, well, that's two important <laughs> so areas. let's throw this completely around and let's start at the, be at the beginning. Are you from Cape Town? Are you a Captonian? We did no, you well, grow up? I was born in Zimbabwe, so okay. at the time. But I left there when I was 19, which was in 1966. With your parents or on your own? No, on my own. Okay. I came to nurse at Krudeskir. Okay. Um, <clears throat> to train as a nurse at Krudeskir, which is lucky for me because it was right at the time of the heart transplants. Oh, wow. So it was very, very interesting and intense. You know, that's something I never knew existed, was the Heart Transplant Museum. Yes. yes. Um, a, a group of friends many years ago we we decided that once a month we were like in eight people and once a month one of us had to arrange an outing of something that none of us has ever done has ever done before hmm. and the first outing was actually to the museum to the heart uh, transplant yeah. museum and what an amazing experience yeah. and <coughs> but i didn't know it existed that well it was an amazing time i can imagine yeah very exciting very um the media when it's the first Huge experience that South Africa had with international media. I ah. remember that. It was like South Africa had never heard of that. <laughs> and we, we were just inundated. I mean, not we, the heart transplant yeah. team. We're inundated with media. 
people from all over the world. And did you eventually qualify as a nurse? No, I didn't. I just short of that. Oh, I know. I left. I felt pregnant, and my pregnancy developed serious complications. Oh, no. So I was hospitalised. And by the time I got out and my baby was sick and I had to look after my baby for a long mm-hmm. time, they said I would have to start all over again. But it didn't matter because I got what I needed medically. Okay. Uh, it was very good medical training that I got that stuck with me. Oh, awesome. So um, I'm good with first aid and I know some basic stuff about medications. Good. How to do a bandage. You know, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that's all I need for now. Yes. And growing up in Zimbabwe, did you grow up with religion, with um, spirituality? I was a very spiritual little girl. I was far more spiritual than my family. I was never forced into anything okay. uh, religiously. Although I came from a missionary family. My grandparents were missionaries and my own mother grew up on a mission station in Zimbabwe, oh, in Malaysia. Um, but I somehow, when I was four years old, and I remember very clearly... In Sunday school, my mother sent me to Sunday school, all on my own, on a bus. Good grief. I mean, we wouldn't do that today. <gasps> the good old days, she isn't it? <laughs> bus stop and put me on the bus, and the bus would drop me off at the church. And then I would get back on the bus, and she would fetch me. And I Amazing. <laughs> but I wouldn't miss Sunday school, not for anything. And I fell in love with Jesus. Oh, wow. And so there was one particular Sunday that was a turning point. I mean, to be four years old and have a turning point. And I know I was four because a few months later we left Salisbury and that was the end of Sunday school. And I was four at the time, just four and a half. And um, we were singing that song, This Little Light of Mine. Ah, I'm going to let it shine, shine, yeah. And I was singing this from my heart, Let it shine till Jesus comes. Did you also do the movements? Yes. Hide it under a bush. Yes, all of that. (laughs) And um, I made a promise. To Jesus. Okay. That I would always, my whole life, work for him. I had no idea what that, maybe the teacher mentioned that, I don't know. But I know that was a promise I made, a vow. Okay. And actually now I'm 74, I've never deviated from that. Except that I haven't been inside a church for more than 40 years. I don't believe Jesus ever actually existed. Okay. But it was a very interesting history where a persona was developed in order to manipulate politically what was happening in Rome. You probably know the history of that. I mean, this is this is the closest to mushroom work. This last ah, supper. Yes. Take eat. This is my body broken for you. The big. It's a big study. It's a very interesting study. So although that vow is uh, is not as literal as it was when I was a child. I have always done work that was profoundly spiritual for me. Okay. Never stop. Now I'm working harder than I ever did. At 74. Yes. And I love my work. <laughs> I don't want to do anything else. And you you do two things. You do the um, astrology work. Yes. And you do the Soma retreats. Yes. And they two are the same thing, actually. Okay. So uh, how did that happen? Differently. And I didn't plan um, I live by what I call vagabonding. been doing that for years. Everyone should live that way, I think. Which is where you don't plan for anything. You just tune into what makes you excited, what interests you, and um, you know the kind of effect, ultimate outcome you'd like from your life. Yeah. 
and you respond to what comes along. So I never look, for instance, for media, media stuff, never. I've never looked for any kind of fame, or I seem to look, I, I became famous quite quickly. <laughs> but I didn't want that, and I don't look for it, yeah. nor do we ever advertise. But we are full every time. I'm overbooked with astrology readings. But because I live by vagabonding, which is magical living, you keep all the doors of magic wide open. And it's a natural process. It's straight from nature. It's not something weird and wonderful. Okay. It's around us all the time. And that's how I live. And so I had no idea that I would end up being an astrologer who does mushroom journeys. I mean, where do you find such a thing? (laughs) (laughs) But along the way, and a long story getting there, and a very interesting career I had, but I discovered that astrology was real. I actually didn't know anything about it. In my Christian days, I thought that astrology was wicked, which is what I thought the Bible said. That's another story. But, <laughs> and that astrologers should be stoned to death and all that sort of thing. So I was not actively prejudiced, but I wasn't interested. And then I discovered, in an accidental interaction with someone at a book club, that astrology actually was very scientific and very real in the way it expressed itself in people's lives. And when I discovered, when I heard that, it rang true. I didn't doubt what that woman said. It, I felt like I'd known it forever, but never brought it to the front of my mind. Okay. And I was determined to learn how was it possible that where the planets are has anything to do with every single individual that was ever born. Yeah. It's like not possible. But I thought, if she says, and when she said it, it rang, no one, even, not even her so much, but just this, that's true. How can it be true? So then I, beca- I couldn't find proper books. There were no teachers. A little while later, there were a couple of teachers, but at that time, there were none. Because what time are we talking about now? The uh, that would have been um, 1986, 87, okay. around about there, because I moved here in 1986. Okay. So I've, I've then... I was now at varsity, early varsity. Okay. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I began to, I sound mostly self-taught. I have been to many workshops and talks and things done by other astrologers. I've got masses of the books, astrology books. But I really found my own way through it. It's, a very hard, it's the hardest way to do it because it takes so long. Yeah. Years and years because up this alleyway and no, that's wrong. <laughs> Give it up. Go up that alleyway. But in the process, I'm happy it went that way because it's given me a very broad and deep understanding okay. of astrology that isn't based on a, a book that somebody wrote. And it's you, my discovery. And you learned what, what you needed to yes, learn, not what yes, other people yes. thought you needed to know. So, I mean, eventually I practiced for a long, long time with friends. I said, I'm studying astrology. Can I, can I work with you and just tell you what I think? And, yeah. and so I did a lot of practicing, hundreds of people. And... Began, I began to see this thing actually works and I'm getting it right. Oh, wow. And then um, I began to charge because it's, I needed to earn a living. And I started charging 50 Rand for a reading, which is ridiculously little <laughs> the amount of work it was. But I felt so bad about charging. And out of that, it's grown now. I earn my living with astrology, have been for 23 years. Wow. I'm earning my living as an astrologer. Okay. Never dreaming that mushrooms was going to come along. How did that happen? And um, <laughs> upset, or not upset, apple carts, but 
added a added whole a whole new apple card. Yeah, yeah, a whole new apple <laughs> a card. big card to the apple yes. card. <laughs> um, my husband died in 2008 of cancer. Okay. And it was um, devastating for me. I nursed him through his illness and was with him. Mm. He died. He's in my arms. And it, it was like I felt that the end of my life had come. I had no doubt that the end of my life had come. And I was just had to wait because I would die quite soon also. Yeah. But clearly I didn't. And the months went by and a couple of years went by and I was showing no signs of dying because I wanted to be wherever he was. Okay. And um, out of that I discovered ayahuasca. Okay. That was where it started for me. At that stage, I was crippled with arthritis and um, always in pain, extremely depressed. And I was walking actually with a crutch, with one crutch, because I couldn't walk. I was in so much pain, I couldn't walk without it. And very, I mean, my hair was grey, totally grey. And I, I probably looked dreadful. I never even looked at what I looked at. It didn't matter. But then I read a Graham Hancock's book. Supernatural. Okay. Do you know? Mm. One of the top authors in this topic. Okay. Graham Hancock. Graham. Graham. Graham Hancock. He's written many books. This was his least popular book about cave paintings. And I'm interested in cave paintings. So that's why I read the book. Okay. But what I got out of it was this thing he wrote about the ayahuasca. I've never heard of something like that. I had never smoked a cigarette, never had a mouthful of alcohol. Are you serious? No drugs, nothing at all. I was totally ignorant of all of that and happy to be that way. I wasn't judgmental of anyone else. Yeah. That's just how I'd grown up and I stayed that way. But this here was this thing. Ayahuasca, and I read about what happened in the book, what happens in Ayahuasca, and I knew this was for me. And I thought to myself, I'm going to have to save up money to go to Brazil to find a shaman because there's nothing going on in South Africa. Yeah. Anyway, about a month after I finished reading the book, I got an email from someone who I hardly knew. I would not have recognized her if I bumped, bumped into her in the street. So why he sent me the email, I'll never know. <laughs> but thank God, because that one email is fundamental to the biggest change that happened in my life, and that was in 2008. What did the email say? The email said that he had heard about ayahuasca. Oh. And he realized he had to go to Brazil to find a shaman. And he had done that. And he had found a real shaman. He discovered that most shamans are fake. But he found a true shaman. And this true shaman was willing to come to South Africa and bring ayahuasca. Would I be interested? Well. <laughs> I would have sold my house if necessary. Yeah. To go. And it was this huge change for me. I mean, for me to drink anything, it was like a drug. Although yeah. ayahuasca is not a drug. Uh, it was absolutely unheard of. But I, I just had this knowing that this was something I needed. And um, we met at the, there were only nine of us at the f first time around. And, and where did that happen? In the Cedarburg. Okay. High up in the Cedarburg. Uh, it, it was a fabulous month. 28th of this month. Oh, wow. It was my first experience. So, so that's, that's Friday. Yeah. That's tomorrow. 26th of this month. Oh, my word. 
So this is nearly the anniversary yes, of yes, <laughs> anniversary um, yes. podcast celebration. Yes, yes. <laughs> I paid for four sessions. Every two weeks, one session, and we go back to the Cedarburg. And for the first three se- uh, sessions, I've told the story so often that it's really quite interesting. For the first three sessions, it did absolutely nothing for me at all. I experienced nothing. I loved being out on the mountain under the stars, but I saw these other people, and every week it was more, more, more people coming. I saw that there was stuff happening for them, and nothing was happening for me. It must have been such a disappointment. It was very confusing. Very. And I thought there's something terribly wrong with me. Yeah. There's something wrong with me, and I've got to find out what that is, because whatever it is, I will sort it out. So eventually, and I only had one session left. Stress, panic. <laughs> and I then asked to speak to the shaman. He couldn't speak English. Had to go through a translator, so it was all complicated. Oh, my word. And um, I said to him that I, I'm really worried because I'm not experiencing anything. What's wrong? What am I doing? What should I change? Yeah. You know? And he said through the translator, I've been watching, it is exact words, I've been watching you. And the spirit of ayahuasca is with you. It protects you from your fear. That's what he said. Okay. So I had to think long and hard about that. Because I don't want to say, what the hell does that happen? What, 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 what does it mean? <laughs> yeah, it, and, and I guess that maybe I was afraid because I'd never been drunk or anything like yeah. that. And the actual thought of it, I, you know, I, I remember when I drank it the first time, this little glass, I said, you know, if this kills me, I don't oh, care. Okay. I don't care. But I had that kind of dream. Okay. That it what does it taste like, by the way? Terrible. <laughs> Is it bitter? And it, it's worse than bitter. I can't explain. It's a bitter and salty and yucky. <laughs> um, and every time you drink it, it tastes worse. You never get used to it. Ugh. It is too... T- and it makes you go... Oh, God, that the, kind the of gag reflex. reflex. You've got a hole ripped Oof. down because you, you paid a lot of money for it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway he said that the spirit of ayahuasca was with me but was protecting me from my fear so then I said to him well I'm not afraid anymore what must I do tonight which was going to be my last experience mm. what must I do to, to, tonight to be sure I have an experience and this was his answer stop asking me all these questions <laughs> Only, oh, that was my second question <laughs> so I was very put out because my heart is breaking and, and as you say it's been costing a lot of money yes, as well you know. and I'm asking too many questions so anyway come that night it was hot worse this time of year and the temperatures were going into the 40s mm. in, in, in the, at the Cedarburg at the top of the mountain oh my word and um, I was terribly uncomfortable in so much pain uh, and, you know, you're, you're not allowed to take any medications when you're going to use ayahuasca. So no pain medication. I was raw with pain, with the arthritis, which I think was had to do maybe with grief in my husband yeah. or something. I don't know what it was. So that first night, we were then lots of people. There were about 40 from the original nine. It just grew. Mm. So in the boma where we met, which was open to the skies, but like a, a grass wall around, we were crushed shoulder to shoulder in the circle mm. ground. 
I was so tense because this is my last opportunity. I wanted it so bad. Make or break. So I went and I drank the ayahuasca. And when I went back to my place with my stick, limping, limping, struggle, struggle. As I sat down, a voice said, take off your shoes. Now, what, there were only two rules. And one of them was, never take off your shoes because of all the scorpions. And even when you put your shoes on, shake them out first. Yeah. That was the one rule. And I was told to take off your shoes. So I took off my shoes. And the second rule was, you may not leave the group. They didn't want you to wander off into the mountains in the yeah. middle of the night and get lost. Stay with the group the whole night. So the second thing was, get up and leave the group and walk up the mountain. Oh, my word. So I did that, and nobody stopped me. If anyone ever tried that, someone dived out and nobody dragged you back. Nobody stopped me. Barefoot, I walked out the house. sand, was sand, just sand at the top of the mountain. And the sand was hot from the sun in the day. And I walked with my stick, my scratch, my elbow, it was one of those elbow crutches, up the mountain painfully. And then I got, when I felt I couldn't bear it anymore, the ground kind of flat, it was pitch dark, I couldn't see a thing. The ground flattened out a bit and I w walked on the flat, not on this up, up, up on deep sand all the mm. time, but full of sharp stones. And it was so painful under my feet. And this, I felt like a hand on my chest stopped me and made me stand on these sharp stones. Oh. And it was like standing on razor blades. And then I got pushed backwards off the stones and back onto the warm, hot sand. And that's when the most amazing thing happened. From the soles of my feet, I felt... I can only say like water rising, like I was a balloon and water rising slowly like this. There's a water level up to the top of my feet, my ankles, my knees. And wherever it came to a joint, the pain disappeared, which is where I had the water in the joint. Oh, my word. Through my hips, through my neck. My neck was so sore. And up like a fountain into the sky. And I had no pain. Oh, my God. No pain. And I have never got the pain again. After all this time. Are you serious? And like I 12 years later? Yeah, I skipped down the <laughs> hill, left my, my stick lying there on the sand, and joined the rest of the group. And then that night, the rest of the group is already off in their ayahuasca experience. I then sat down, I'd already had the ayahuasca, and I waited, and next thing, I was like a rocket, a shot off the earth. Above us was the, have you been to the Cedar Bay? Mm, it's one. The sky is amazing. And the, the Milky Way was like it was right there. Just here, like you could oh reach my it. Word. Like this. But I shot into the sky, right through to the middle of the Milky Way, the galaxy. And I could turn around and look down at the Milky Way. Oh my word. It was unbelievable. And then I was given an astrology lesson that lasted, I don't know, it felt like me for hours. I think maybe it was hours. I don't know, lost track of time. First hand teaching, training. Absolutely. It was in-depth <laughs> astrology. Oh it was the most amazing thing. Finally, when it was over and I was gently brought back to earth and put back in my place, 
I just lay there absorbing the the amazing stuff that I had learned, and I had no pain. It felt so beautiful. Wow, I can imagine. To not have any pain. Anyway, that was my first ayahuasca experience, and that then led to many more because I thought it would be my last, but I discovered that there's a group at in Grayton, at yes. on a farm, who use ayahuasca Santa Dime group. Yeah, okay, somebody I know and attends I, those. Yeah. I joined them. Okay. And I had a, a long time with them. I absolutely loved what I learned with them. It's a long drive, but it was worth it. Yeah. I missed one. So that was uh, working with ayahuasca. I learned such a lot of all kinds of things. And then it stopped working. It was like the lights the switch, switched off. And I kept going back, and there was still nothing, nothing, nothing. And that was very painful. I felt rejected. I couldn't understand why. But that was just before I discovered mushrooms, which was given to me as a birthday gift. I'd heard of mushrooms, and actually had a small little thing thing with a group, but which didn't really work for me. But um, someone gave me a birthday gift for my 64th birthday of mushrooms. Now, isn't that just a cute gift to give a 64-year-old maybe? <laughs> and uh, I then, that was, that gift, cha- like the astrology changed my life. That gift changed my life too. I, I mean, it was an amazing experience. I didn't know really what to do with the mushrooms, but I looked to read up a bit and I'd heard here and there, must have some music and ideally be outdoors. So I put a nice garden at the back. And You've got a nice garden there. at the front as well. Yeah, we have. It's yes, lovely. Quite public there. <laughs> we purposely, actually. I spent the night out there with those mushrooms. It was the most amazing night of my whole life. And in the morning, I heard this uh, voice that said to me, your home will become a school for mushrooms. So, <laughs> although I wouldn't have quite used these words, I might use it now, but not in those days. What the fuck is that? <laughs> I had no idea what that was all about, or even that mushrooms had a voice. Now I know my, everyone who works with mushrooms knows that they have a voice. Okay. That they sometimes actually speak. And most people say it's a feminine voice. To me, it was definitely a man's voice, a male voice. So this, I said to the voice, I then had this conversation with the voice, which is quite crazy. I said, uh-uh, not me. I'm not the right person to do that, whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, that I don't know anything. Was that why you were reluctant? Because of the, yes, the lack of knowledge? Ignorance. Okay. And it was not something I had in mind, you know, it's yeah. not what I wanted. I was happy to be an astrologer for the rest of my mm. life. So then I got the, the advice from the voice, which is what I live by now, still. You don't need to know anything. Just open the door and leave it open. And that's what I do. We never close the door. Well, if it's cold, we close the door and yeah. lock it. Anyone, the, the police or anyone, can just walk down the path and walk yeah. into the door, as you saw. So that's now that that's how I operate. Okay. That I don't close the door to anyone or anything or any idea or anything. I'm open to it, to fully look at it and see where is there something I can use and let it just float away if it isn't. And it's some, that's the vagabonding. I love that. The vagabonding. Principle. Yeah. I think and that's that what I'm going to call your episode is the vagabond. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was the story, the start. Of the mushroom journey. So how did the first 
how did you then go about? I did nothing. I because I was told I didn't have to. Do <laughs> I didn't have to know anything. I just had an open mind. So I, a few days after that, I got a, a, a problem with my a computer. So I called in my computer guy, youngster, to come and fix it. And while he was sitting there, all of a sudden, I was sitting over there, and he was sitting here. I said, "Have you ever used mushrooms?" <laughs> <laughs> and he thought, came out of this, my mouth. this lady's I mean, weird. I'm not the last person to be talking about that. So he said, no, he hasn't. But he would like to. Okay. So I said, oh, okay, well, wouldn't you like to join me? And in the meantime, I got some more mushrooms from okay. the same lady who gave me the gift of mushrooms. I said, you bring, because one of the instructions I got that night is never to have mushrooms without chocolate. Okay. I mean, I couldn't make up something so crazy. <laughs> Uh, later on, I discovered, on with research, you can find it on the internet, that psilocybin mushrooms and chocolate are the perfect combination for the oh, best wow. result. Okay. But I didn't know anything. Yeah. I knew nothing. And we've never served the mushrooms without chocolate, not once in all these years. But anyway, this young guy, I said to him... Any chocolate? or, or No, no, cacao. Okay. Cacao or, or chocolate. Cool. Ideally, we make it for ourselves. But I don't always have the time to do that. Then I get lunch. Okay, cool. The high cacao contents, bitter. So he brought the chocolate and I brought the mushrooms. And he went and lay on one side of the back garden and I lay on the other and we had our experience together. That was the very first journey and that was in the year I turned 64, which was I think 2008, at the end of the year. And then a couple of other friends asked and then more friends, and then to two people, four people, three people, five people, and then suddenly it exploded to 18 people. Oh, wow. Over, overnight. And it's actually never looked back. Oh, wow. It's word of mouth only. Oh, amazing. That's all. Well, I've heard from three different people about yes. you. So definitely word of mouth is working. And you know, if it all came to an end, I wouldn't mind. Yeah. I'm yeah. not doing this on a business. Mm. It's uh, it's a strange kind of calling. I mean, it's put me in jail twice. I heard that. Yes. You know, so. Um, and what 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 were the charges? Dealing in an illegal substance. Okay. And we, you got to court and. But the two the two episodes of when the police arrived were similar. My neighbours have never complained. We're so open to the street. Yeah. Then in, in, anyone can see what's going on here. Um, we open the door and hold it open. So there's no secrets. They all anyone who wants to know. Can know. No, no, I'm not afraid. Yeah. But the twice that where we, we had trouble that brought the police was very similar. The first time was a, a retired university professor, 77 year old man real gentleman, very physically fit and also a dancer, a professor and an actor and a dancer, highly creative guy. But this was his first ever experience of anything like this. And he took a fright in the journey and we weren't worried about him. He's a highly respected man and um, there was a couple of others that were a bit wild in their ways and so we were keeping a real eye on them. But next thing this guy was crawling on his hands and knees at speed and out of the house and running down the road. 
and he got lost. We sent out a car, we sent out people on foot, and I notified the, the neighborhood watch to look out for him. And he found his way to the police station, and he asked, he got lost, but fortunately found the police station, which is quite a long way away mm. for an old man yeah. on mushrooms. And he asked for help to get back to my address. He remembered my address. He wanted a lift to get back here. So the police bring him back. <laughs> and in the car, they ask him. They notice he was a bit strange. Yeah. So they asked him, what's going on? So they, he said, oh, they've got taking mushrooms. And so they then phoned their superiors. They had to check it out first. And was told that they must arrest the person in charge, oh, which okay. was me. So that's how I got arrested the first time. And, I mean, a whole long story around that. Because they then wanted to drop the case because they lost the file. So I was furious that they lost the file. And I said that um, they must then create a new file. And they must have known that meant that was not good news for them. Because it meant I was very serious about this. I didn't say, oh, thank God. Yeah, which would have been the normal reaction. Yeah. I was furious and I said you can't tell me you've lost the file then you start a new file mm. I mean that's like an obvious thing yeah. so they did okay and out of that we requested to be to go to the high court to leave the magistrates court and go to the high court and ask for a stay of prosecution I didn't know anything about the law all of this I learned as we went along I still don't know a lot but I know I've learned a lot we got the stay of prosecution and what that means is that I and anyone else who's arrested for mushrooms can appeal to the stay of prosecution that was given to me, which means we, nothing can be done to anyone who's arrested for mushrooms okay. until my case is settled. Okay. Then the law has to be even-handed. Mm. So then those people can appeal to what happened to me, mm. and the same must be done for them. Okay. So there's a whole bunch of that. This is all now more than five years oh, well. it's been going on. And so that was the first time. And then the second time was similar, where a, a, a filmmaker who'd been making films in, of wars in North Africa for a year ah. and was suffering badly with PTSD and had actually come home in a very broken state. He came and journeyed with us to, in wanting to help with the PTSD. He went berserk. Somebody was in the group was kind of groaning. Oh, like was oh, not loud word. groaning. Yeah. And that must have triggered something for what he heard yeah. in the war, something like that. My heart went out to me. He was behaved appallingly badly and violently. But I, my heart ached for him. And he went to the police and demanded that they put on a full-on raid and then I'd be thrown into jail because I'm working with something far too powerful, ah. was his accusation. So they, they can't do a raid immediately. They have to order the, the police vans and the police and the guns and all of that sort of thing. So it was, and we didn't know he'd been to the police, but then they arrived and took me a second time to jail, to the cells, the holding cells. It was unbelievable. We waited and waited at the court and eventually the prosecutor sent a message to tell me I can go home, they've lost my file. <laughs> Again. And that time I said, okay, that's fine, because we've already got the high court yeah. thing lodged, that's active, that's going to stay yeah. active until it's resolved. And it's much better than now having to go through the court, they postpone and they postpone. Yeah. 
And so the whole case was dropped because they couldn't find the file. Amazing. <laughs> so Freaky. It is. Yeah. And I don't mind how often they come and arrest me. Okay. It, I'm just more determined each time. Yeah. Because we are not doing anything wrong. We are only doing good. Awesome. Big time. Chris. So is there a, a certain time astrologically that the mushroom should be done? No, so the way we work it, it, a spontaneity is very, very important. If you look at nature, it's very spontaneous. You know, the seeds, the, uh, take dandelion seeds, they get blown by the winds and land who knows where. And so we practice spontaneity in the moment. The madness sometimes of the moment. <laughs> what we do in terms of when we have a journey because you can't align it because everyone's got a different birth chart. Okay, yeah. So there's no one night. Okay. So when someone requests a journey on a particular date, that becomes, that's our sign. Okay. That that is the date. So we only have mushroom journeys on dates that have been already requested. Okay. And if the time should come, we're so far from that at the moment, but if the time should come that nobody's asking anymore, our work is done. Yeah. Awesome. Then, you, a, then you've, you've, you've done your work. Then yes, you can sit and back and know sign. that. Now no. I can do something. I can write a book. There's so many things I want to do that I can't do because I'm so busy with the mushroom thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, it, it wonderfully works wonderfully well. And how do you feel about the research and the positive things that, that's being shown from from research well, about I mean, the... Well, it's, it's very good and very nice. There are some things that we are a bit concerned about me particularly, they, the, the, the research, that what they use in the research is an extract of mushrooms, the psilocybin, only the extract. And all the research, all the positive research is based on that extract. Whereas we use the whole mushroom. Okay. Which is a completely different thing. Okay. So, I mean, their, their research is fine and good, but we're saying nature knows what she's doing. Okay. And we trust that. Uh, and we are offering here not some great big dramatic healing anything. Yeah. And we're not looking to uh, produce medications and into the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. We want to work with what nature gives, the whole mushroom, to help each individual in their own specific way with what they specifically need on that yeah. occasion. Oh, cool. And that's how we work. Okay. So we, we, the research is so far removed from what we're doing. Oh, okay. So we can't really go to court now about that because that's not what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I actually had an interesting conversation with a psychiatrist the other night. And I can't remember how the conversation happened, but in my head it was just spontaneous from his side. We, mm. He was expressing his frustration about how many clients he's, he's got in hospital mm. with depression and anxiety that he's done everything for them and nothing's happening for them mm. and that he's frustrated with the slow pace of the psilocybin research because mm. what he's reading you is so positive and he wants this people to us here are you serious and, and they're not allowed to do, not allowed to say that it, yeah. <laughs> it's um, amazing Quite a few people, we would never recommend this, but quite a few people have been using antidepressants and anti-anxiety and sleep pills, mm. that sort of thing. And they're addicted and they're, they're, they've become numb, numbed. Yeah. You know, life isn't no fun at all. Yeah. 
it's like their last resort. And quite a few of them have decided, we ask people that if they're on any medication to come off it for two days before the journey okay. so that it, the medication won't suppress yeah. their experience. That's our reason yeah. for that. If they can't or don't want to, it's fine. They don't have to do that. We just say that's what we recommend. Yes. And then they choose. But the number of people who've chosen to come off their medication forever, just clean cut. And mm. they say you must come off it slowly. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a winding They winding. don't do that. Yeah. Oh. They don't do that. They just stop their medication and they don't go back. Ever. Amazing. <laughs> recommend that. I yeah. would say don't tell anyone I told you to yeah. do that because I never did. Absolutely. I would not do that. Yeah. But that's their choice and it seems to work. Oh wow. Amazing. Well, I am very, very excited about having had this conversation. We've spoken far longer than we anticipated. <laughs> but Monica, I, I'm really I'm extremely grateful for, mm. for, for this opportunity to have spoken to you. I'm very excited about you, the work you do. So am I. So I'm, I'm really excited. I'm very happy. And I stay excited. But thank you very much. Thank Have you a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for persisting. <laughs> persisting. Yeah. I can do that well. Thank you so much, Monica. Look after yourself. Yeah, thank you. I'm so happy that I got to speak to Monica. Her story about the shaman telling her that she should stop asking so many questions reminded me of a joke Yaku always tells about this monk who was in a silent monastery, during which they could say a few words once a year. Each year they had one audience with the head monk. After the first year, when the monk had his audience with the main monk, he said, food bad, and left. After the second year, during his audience, he said, bed hard. After his third year, he said, I leave. The head monk looked at him and said, good, all you have done since you've been here is complain. <laughs> If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field, or Freddy Counselor, or on Twitter at, at @rensburgfreddy, or Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.